and welcome to another episode of the 55-1 Podcast. My name is Jeff Reuter, and sitting across from me here, rubbing his bald head as always, we have Wes Burdine. Hey, Wes, how you doing? How's it going, Jeff? Good. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to get something off my chest. Yeah, that's okay. I think that uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium Arcadium is probably the best record released in the last 10 years. Last 10 years. Okay, because yeah, that was, that was the one with Danny California... And like 35 other songs, right? Right, right. And you might think it's like an indulgent expansion, but I think it's deeper forays into funk rock are are really the best tracks on that album. But like, even though it's the fifth Chili Peppers album that Rick Rubin has produced, Mm -hmm. um, he just keeps finding ways to get new things out of that band's sound. And this is like every bit as edgy as their earlier drug-fueled stuff. Now, you're someone who, I mean, you play music yourself, obviously, and you're, you're a big music aficionado. Um, so then what parts of the Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium Arcadium have you brought into your everyday life, not just your musicality? I don't have that here on the schedule, Jeff. You don't? I, I wrote a thing. No, that's okay. Sorry, I'll let you stick to the cards, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, that's not Wes. That's uh, Kyle Eliason. Um, who is the NPSL editor for 55.1, as well as someone who is the beat writer for Minneapolis City, um, and just a, an all-around 6 out of 10. So uh, thanks thanks for joining me this week, Kyle. Yeah, I try to be the, the Wayne Shaw of podcasting. Um, I have no, uh, no desire to be in the starting 11, but uh, in an emergency, I'm happy to step in. And you'll eat pies in the meantime. I Yes, I completely had forgotten about Wayne Schaub until we were writing these notes. Um, so we've got a lot to get through on this week's edition of the 551 Podcast. We've got Boschi Schweinsteiger serving a mean crow dinner um, to New England Revolution. We'll talk a little bit about the newly formed NPSL North and why you should follow it. We'll dive into Minnesota walking out of their Texas two-step with one point. And then, as always, we will take time for listener questions. So... Uh, thanks for tuning in. We've got Big Quarters here, a local hip-hop group that's kind enough to let us use their music. So uh, we'll start with that before heading to the good, the bad, and the weird. Oh. And welcome back to the 55.1 Podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff Ruder. I'm here with Kyle Eliason, who is joining me. Um, to talk about the good, the bad, and the weird, which is where we go through everything going on right now um, in the world of soccer outside of Minnesota. But first, Wes is gone. I feel like we should address that. Kyle, where's Wes? I don't know. You where know? is Wes? That's a good question, actually. I have no idea. Wes is... You called me and said Wes isn't going to be here, so I figure you knew. I was hoping that you would have something ready off the cuff, like a John oh, like Oliver a filling in. Yeah, for no, no. No quips. Uh, Wes is currently practicing... Um, playing Snow Heyo on a Vuvuzela, so he is not able to make it. Um, but uh, who has been able to perform lately is Bashi Feinsteiger, who is in his third game with Chicago Fire, future World Cup contenders, led Chicago to a 3-0 win over New England at home. He has two goals and assist in his first three games, um, this after basically not playing at all um, for Manchester United in the last year. Are you surprised at all that he's doing this? A little bit that it, that he's taken to it so quickly. Yeah, he hasn't doesn't seem to be any rust he needs to shake off. Um, um, transitioning from your good to the bad this week, and, yeah. and staying on the topic of Manchester United. And I can't say I watch a, a ton of EPL, but I, I did see like a lot of the buzz on Twitter uh, when the lineups came out ahead of United's game against Chelsea, when 
uh, Ibrahimovic wasn't in the lineup. Right. And there was some other squad rotation, and people were laying into it and uh, saying that this was a message he was sending and he wasn't intending to win. What kind of message is that? Uh, I, uh, he's unhappy with the couple hundred million pounds he was allowed to spend on Pogba and Ibrahimovic, but... I don't know. Yeah, but then after weird. the game, uh, everything shifted, and there were articles about how uh, he had gotten his tactics right and Conti had gotten it wrong, mm-hmm. and just like the uh, the wonderful uh, knee jerk swing that you find in on Twitter related to soccer within like a three hour period. Ah, I would yes. put that down as the bad this, this yeah. week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the second window goes. I also don't follow EPL too closely, but we're going to continue our transition about slowly introducing our next like uh, topic yeah. in the previous topic by moving on to Chelsea, who just lost. Uh, they will be losing John Terry. We found out, uh, John, even though I completely forgot he'd re-signed with Chelsea this year, I kind of assumed he was just retired. Um, John Terry is going to be leaving Chelsea at the end of the season, the board confirmed. Um, do you have any thoughts, positive feelings, negative feelings about John Terry? I don't, but somebody in China should give him a lot of money so that no one in MLS is tempted. Yeah, I, there was a tweet that David Rudin had put out um, about how every person with roster building authority in Major League Soccer should be locked in a room without cell service for the next two months until China finally locks him down to a contract. So that we can make sure he doesn't come here. He's a big. Well, you know, if he goes to another MLS team and he doesn't go to Minnesota, I'd always thought that he'd he be a good fit for a, Atlanta. Uh, uh, yeah, or designate. Well, I mean, they're in the East, though. Let's 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 hamstring a team in the West. Like who are who are we worried about when Minnesota's competitive in three years? Let's uh, Dallas. Dallas, Dallas should... hamstring Dallas. <laughs> Kill the kids. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might work. Yeah. Um, let's actually dive right into the NPSL before we take a break here. Okay. Um, it's a so last year. Minneapolis City SC had their debut season. They played in the Premier League of America, that or is, was it the American is, Premier League? No, they were in the. There are many. There are many leagues in in the United States that may not even be professional leagues that include the word like Premier or Champions, and it's it's a little funny. Throws me off. Yeah, and then uh, there was a. And that's there the were teams leg. in Minnesota playing in the Premier League of America, and then there were also teams in Minnesota playing in the American Premier League. But, so are those the teams that became the NPSL North? Uh, many of them, yes. There were some holdovers. You have Twin Stars, Eau Claire, mm-hmm. well, or now Lacrosse. But, yeah. Uh, so you you cover the NPSL North better than just about anyone out there, um, and so it's me and another blog called NPSL Northern. I think they do a good job too. Yeah, but but I, it's the yeah. Po- the point is here that you <laughs> you know what's going on, and yeah. I won't pretend to know why the NPSL North founded. I, I when I was. In Los Angeles covering the MLS Superdraft, I met with a couple of people um, who are involved with the NPSL, and they were talking about how they're excited about the North, and it seems like an area that's perfect to have its own league, um, probably for travel cost reasons, as well as just fans here are so uh, rabid about their local sides. You hit the nail on the head when you're talking about amateur soccer and making that viable for the teams in it. Um, And, you know, you don't have... um, an open table where you might be drawing speculative investment from people that would hope to bring a team into a higher league. Right. That those travel costs are huge. I mean, that is a, such a significant part of a team's budget and also looking to kind of create in some places, local rivalries, at least in the twin cities here with three teams, condensing everything with within Minnesota and States right on its border. And, and, you know, the teams in Sioux Falls, the teams in Fargo, the teams in... So it really does make a big difference. 
would you say then that this is an upgrade over what it was last year where you've gotten split between a couple of leagues and they're going across to state borders? I mean, just objectively, uh, like an upgrade for, uh, compared to like the PLA, which I would, would say is the better of the two leagues. Yeah. Um, it's tough to say because in the PLA you have teams at the very high end, like, uh, Milwaukee Bavarians are consistently one of the better amateur clubs in the nation. You've got historic clubs like RWB Adria and then even, um, Cedar Rapids, they have uh, their professional indoor soccer players play outdoors in the league, and there's some decent players there too. Sure. Um, Minneapolis City, though, there's a lot of clubs that are in that were in the PLA, that were in the APL last year, that are moving to the NPSL North. They were first-year clubs last season, and these clubs are going to improve. And I think City's roster is stronger than it was a year ago. Um, you know, Duluth is probably going to see some improvement. They're actually returning a lot of players from last year, but. They're going to have some familiarity within their core. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be an improvement um, on aggregate on the whole. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, it's going to be maybe better than the PLA um, for like the very handful of top clubs. Mm. That makes sense. Um, with the switch from the PLA to the NPSL, we talked about this a little bit well, um, a month and a half, two months ago when it happened, but... Uh, Minneapolis City isn't able to play in the U.S. Open Cup, and they had the draw this last week, and Minneapolis City wasn't a part of that. Um, Is that going to hurt the club, or is it, in a way, the fact that they had this kind of publicity from diehard soccer fans across the country, like, how are they not playing? Is that going to be beneficial to them? The publicity across the country, I think it's kind of overstated. It doesn't hurt in any way, but for a league like the NPSL, so much of your revenue is going to come in via attendance. I mean, it can help with some shirt sales. Like you got an online store, something like that. Um, I think a long U.S. Open Cup run would have helped them more. Mm-hmm. But um, I think they did a very uh, smart job of, of making lemonade out of lemons and, and publicizing it and taking a bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach with the undefeated 2017 U.S. Open Cup run T-shirts. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um so you're not going into Wisconsin this year, far. Uh, is there a road trip, so to speak, that you're even looking forward to this year? Or is there a team that you're thinking, like, these are going to be the surprise guys of the MPSL North? Uh, as far as a surprise, um, I th- you know, VSLT, Viejo San Los Trapos, here in the Twin Cities, playing at the Jimmy in St. Paul. Um, I think they're kind of a dark horse. They're going to be recruiting from the, you know, the Latino community here in the Twin Cities. Um I'm familiar with some of their players. I'm not familiar with all of their players. Um, they only played in the MASL last year, the Minnesota Amateur Soccer League. Mm-hmm. Med City is a in, in Rochester are a brand new team. They're going to be um, fielding a team for their inaugural season this year uh, of any kind, and they're going to be playing in the NPSL North. Uh, they seem to be pulling in some interesting players. They've got a partnership with the Mayo Clinic. They're doing some some kind of impressive things for a – a fledgling club, um, I think they could be they could be good. Uh, Minneapolis City is your front. Minneapolis City is your front runner. When you're talking about like a trip away, you know, um, yeah, outside the Twin Cities, I'm interested to see Med City play. If I'm thinking about it like a fun weekend. Um, with apologies to anybody in Lacrosse, Sioux Falls, and Fargo, I think Duluth is maybe a bit more of a summer vacation town. Right. So I think uh, just um, as far as how interesting the rest of the weekend is mm-hmm. for me. It'll be Minneapolis City's away trip to Duluth. Sure. We'll bring you back in about a month or so when you're going to have the season kickoff in earnest. 
because um, that is in mid late May, right? Yeah, first games. But you did kind of allude to Minneapolis City as a front runner. Do you, are they at least right now with how rosters are set up supposed to be the best team in the division for the year one? I would if if I were going to wager my own money um, and knowing everything I know at this point. Bear in mind, teams have not filled out their rosters completely. Right. Yeah, uh, I'd take an even money bet that City would win the 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 NPSL North, um, maybe even versus the field right now. Sure. All right. Um, let's jump back to VSLT because they're a team that I'm curious about. Uh, I mean, they are the St. Paul team. So then when you're talking about this sort of regional rivalries, uh, butting all these teams in uh, the Twin Cities, they're they're kind of the new faces on the block. Um, Jeremiah at Interdependent J uh, is asking what uh, you talked about the Jimmy a little bit. What Griffith's atmosphere will be like for these home matches, um, and then if you have you you alluded to some players that you knew, which player on the roster right now has the most buzz? Yeah, um, I I haven't confirmed this, but uh, I've heard rumors that VSLT is not going to charge admission. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of a gamble. Um, you look at, uh, if you're an amateur team, um, kind of, uh, what are the barriers to getting somebody to attend? Yeah. Um, and is like $5 admission, like a barrier that's going to stop a lot of sure, people. Sure, but you were also someone who published, um, with MPLS, wow, Minneapolis City's Blessing. Yeah. You, you went ahead and published their books for year one. Uh, attendance was a big portion of their pie as far as what they earned, wasn't it? Right, right, right. So I'm really, I am really, really curious to see if if VSLT does go with free admission and what kind of atmosphere that can bring out. Um, and I think, uh, I think it has the potential relative to the NPSL North. The the uh, the Jimmy will have a very, very, very loud, raucous, fun atmosphere. Sure. And then um, players that I that I'm familiar with. Um, in the PLA last season, I covered Minneapolis City. Uh, Chris RB for our site, he wrote a bit about Minnesota United's reserve team, which is on an on indefinite hiatus. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rodrigo Galvan was um, kind of an attack-minded midfielder that played for the United Reserves last season, could score some goals from midfield, and he's signed on with VSLT. So I think he's somebody to keep an eye on. Um, just the people that I've spoken to that are affiliated with City, they're part of the Stegman's organization. They have teams in MAS, MASL. Yeah. Um, Peter Zhang uh, is a defender who is uh, known for uh, maybe a set-piece ability, free kick-taking too. So that'd be another VSLT player that I would I would keep an eye out for. Sure. Uh, as these rosters are filled out for VSLT and otherwise, uh, and the season ramps up, we'll bring you back on to talk about a team-by-team kind of preview. Um, so that we can talk more about the on the field, but I was just kind of curious about the off the field while we got you here sure. um, as the Wayne Shaw of podcasting. Uh, let's take a break here, and when we come back, we are going to talk about Minnesota United fighting the humidity in Houston. podcast i'm jeff reuter and i'm here with kyle eliason uh who listened to the game on radio your first pass through right yeah i was stuck uh working uh that evening i've since gone back and rewatched it but uh yeah i just had it had it on my phone how so i haven't listened to a game this year because it's just a simulcast right it is it's just a simulcast for the tv so it's not particularly descriptive you know uh tv has a visual and uh any intelligent Television play-by-play man knows you can look at the visual and he doesn't have to relay all the right. subtle bits of information. Uh, Tim Vickery, the BBC's South American correspondent, he's on the World Football phone-in yeah. all the time. Yeah. He's talked about how terrifying 
soccer is on the radio because you always assume your team is just about to score or is under incredibly <laughs> heavy pressure because you don't know what's occurring um, you know, if it's not being broadcast well and you just fill in that, that void with the most dramatic events you think possible. Of course, yeah. yeah, and a bunch of potholes in the field too, and you've got the you know people from the river sticks clawing up to grab players and bring them back down to the depths of hell, um, which forces you to make early subs. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and we actually had two of those in the Minnesota game. Um, so let's let's go to the depths of hell. Let's talk about Houston, where because you you also spent time in Houston. I I did. I lived in a suburb north of Houston called Humble, which is like. The Kingwood to Vadness Heights Umble? White Bear Lake. Yeah. Without it's, an H? With an H. But it's pronounced Umble. Yeah. So is it Houston? No. Weird. All right. So Minnesota United ended up tying 2 2 uh, against the Houston Dynamo um, off of a, uh, a couple of decent goals, actually. But the first half was, I mean, look, it looked like they were reverting back to the first couple of games here. Um, early form was really shaky. There were, there were moments, you know, in the first half where Minnesota was on the attack. Minnesota looked like they were going to be able to create a chance in the goal. Uh, Christian Ramirez had a couple of one-on-one chances. One was off frame, and so it was a pretty tough shot. He hit it with his toe, I think, um, and that went wide. Yeah, he took, it looks, like it, it looks like he took just a little bit too long of a touch and couldn't get the top of his foot on it. Yeah, and then it was deflected, I think. Or No, the, the defender pushed it a little wider oh, than Christian was, had had yeah. it set too, so then he had even less of a chance to get a, a good foot on it. Lovely then, ball by Molina to play him in, though. Yeah, yeah, and another lovely ball later where he led him to the far post and Christian, uh, I think, crotched the ball wide of the goal. Yeah, it's hard to bundle it in with your groin. yeah. I think any good striker will tell you that. He missed, yeah, you know, he slid for the ball and he missed making any sort of good contact. And yeah. Yeah. And then there was the, the missed penalty as well. Um, I think that was a penalty. I think that that could have been a red card as well. And it was still 0 0 at the time. That really would have changed the game from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, just looking at it, you saw a weaker call go against uh, Gonzalez Pires over at Atlanta and he got sent off for it and a penalty kick conceded. And yet. Consistency's tough, though. You can always point to this call wasn't as severe as this call occurring mm-hmm. in different games at different times. And yeah. And it's because then I, I thought I'd heard where the ref body had said, you know, that that shouldn't have been a red card, maybe a yellow, but not a red. Um, so consistency, one ref's opinion, I'm run of the play, et cetera. But um, that seemed like a missed call. The calls that were made in the 14th minute, uh, Maro Manitas uh, gathered across from Kubo Torres, who himself got the ball off of a throw-in. There were This was the second of two throw-ins in the opening 15 minutes where Minnesota United just to- didn't seem... Completely asleep. Yeah, they, they, they didn't seem ready at all. And, and It was I, funny. I, I don't know if it, was, if it was you, if it was greater at the press. Somebody um, in the preseason, um, there's a Heath quote about um, the pace of play and, and he wants to make sure his teams are ready always ready, ready to pick up play again. And and that specific thing let the loons down in this game. Yeah, and, and then you moved on to the 43rd minute. So right before that, there was a sudden stoppage of play. There's a foul called on Minnesota, probably 25 yards out. And Rasmus Schuler all of a sudden is down, and he's holding his hip. Um, you see Miguel Ibarra immediately rip off his tracksuit like he's, I don't know, running to court or something after a jog. And he... Um, rips off his tracksuit, he starts sprinting down the sideline. And, it, I mean, first off, it indicates that Rasmus Schuller is injured and you're going to make a substitute, but it also showed a, a severe change in tactics. 
Uh, Schuler had been graphic, well, not graphically, like it, it, there was nothing graphic about it, but on the graphics before the match, Schuler was shown as the left winger. And that isn't at all his position. And I don't think that's actually how he ended up playing. It was like Saeed in the Atlanta game where he drifted out there if he was needed to. But I saw it as a 4-3-3 for Minnesota where Schuler is operating behind the front three, kind of collecting the ball from the two sixes and then distributing them to Venegas, Ramirez, and Molino. Um, but once he got subbed off, he got Miguel Ibarra. Um, and Miguel came in with his pace as usual. This was his cleanest performance so far this season. And it's not a great sample size to work off of, nor are they great individual data points. Uh, some of them were just one minute, uh, one minute showings at the end of a match to burn time. Some of them were where he looked kind of sloppy on the ball, but uh, Miguel looked good to me. He should start this coming weekend. Um, and I thought it was kind of telling to me, actually, that Miguel came in instead of Kadri, who had been getting most of the starts. Yeah. And if Heath is insistent upon um, playing, you know, with a, Four three three or a four five one, even in a four four two, um, you know, Ibarra's been inconsistent. Kadri's been inconsistent, but Ibarra at least hints at something better. I don't see a lot of upside with Kadri. I don't think there's a um, a really really good player waiting to break out. We've seen just fans in Minnesota have seen Ibarra at his best, and I'd rather if we're going to deal with inconsistency, give it to the guy who could end up delivering and, and becoming a, a fixture in the first 11 going forward. I'd agree with that. And I think there's a uh, kit numbers are always so, I mean, a player just chooses a number to an extent. If it's available, he gets it. But you hold out the number 10 for someone that you think is going to at least be a starting contributor on a team. Typically, so, yes. Yeah. So so I think that kind of showed their hand as well, that they expected him to become a starter, at least by the course of the season. Uh, so go back to that free kick that we set up with the Rasmus Schuler injury. Um, ball goes in. Uh, Minnesota tries to hold an offside trap, but Francisco Calvo missed the memo, I think. And you wonder what the cause of that is, if it was a miscommunication or uh, even a lack of communication, because everybody else holds, Calvo runs back, and Calvo's on the outside edge. There are three Houston players in between him and, and at that point, Shuttleworth. Yeah, and, and so it was a no contest. Alberto Elise got a ball in and ended up kneeing Shuttleworth right above the eye. Uh, causes a laceration above his eye. Uh, also, anytime that there's a body part that hits someone's knee on the field, they're going to check for concussions. Minnesota didn't want to waste the clock and then really didn't want to run a risk of Shuttleworth, so they subbed out and brought in Elfie, who two weeks ago we had talked about as being very unlikely to see the field, and yet here comes John Alfberger coming in with two minutes left in the half. And I thought he did well uh, yeah. in the second half. Yeah. He, I don't know if he was drinking Elfie's secret stuff or whatever I, in a tweet that did not get circulated nearly how I thought it would this afternoon, and I'm sure I'll try peeping it again. Uh, you didn't even see it, did you? No. That's fine. Um, uh, I can never remember where quotes come from, too. If, if you wrote this up, if Greater, if Meg Ryan, whomever wrote it up. But um, one thing that was really concerning to me was when um, El, El Boga had been dropped, um, they were talking about how the team was working with him on agility drills. And I thought he's a 34 year old usually, you know, an agility is usually something you have and then you teach players finer skills. Right. And, and like how much more can you polish up a 34 year old's agility? Was he really that rusty? I don't know. Hopefully we'll see a, a more spry, uh, 34 year old goalkeeper. Here. If he's, yeah. If he's going to be starting here. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be interesting. It's, it's not certain what the, the prospects are for Bobby Shuttleworth as far as if he'll be back this next week, but we'll see. Um, second half rolls in and it's, 
I mean, it's a tale of two halves, really. I, from what I'd heard, the team at halftime was finally willing to call each other out. And that, that this is something over the last two weeks that has been much more apparent, where they're say like, hey, you missed your mark here. Or why aren't you in position for this thing? And actually not worrying about like ruining clubhouse chemistry. And I think that really showed on the field. And you saw players who were more vocal. I mean, like you said, there was a lack of communication on Calvo running back. Um, two minutes after... Uh, second half rolls, Christian Ramirez scores a goal off a corner kick on a header um, where he's marked by a five foot eight Honduran, uh, Oscar Boniac Garcia. And we'll get to it this later, but the, the announcing, the Houston announcing was so bad. And, they, you know, the, the, the something approaching a direct quote was Ramirez rising above everybody and he jumped maybe six inches off the ground. He was <laughs> locked up. They were grabbing each other's jerseys and he fought off his mark and he knocked in the header. And that's a great goal. Yeah. But, uh, he, you know, he maybe jumped six, eight inches. He didn't rise above everybody. He rose over a very, very short man marking him. Right. And then it, another great goal, actually, for the second goal, 12 minutes later, where um, Kevin Molino, who got who was the, the first star in the 55 won three stars um, of the match, who didn't show up on the score sheet, but on this ball, uh, tries to get a low cross through the box, takes a deflection off of a Houston defender, goes up in the air. And Johan Venegas is able to quite impressively actually get his left foot to it and then keep it within the post and uh, pass Joe Willis, who's the Houston backup who was starting this week. Yeah, it's a nice bit of skill because that's a slowly bouncing ball. You're going to have to generate any power on it uh, that gets supplied. And he just took it with his instep and put it into the top corner. And, and the goalkeeper had already kind of moved over to that half of the goal. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to Ramirez a little bit and then to Kevin Molino as well, uh, we had an email question actually from Alex McCracken. If you have questions, I think it's westburdine at 55.1 is where you can send these emails. Otherwise, my email address is in my Twitter bio if you want to send them to me instead. Um, Alex asks, obviously, we're all thrilled at Christian Ramirez's performance this year. Five goals right now through his first uh, six games, um, seven games. However, he probably should have had two or three versus Houston, not counting the missed PK call. Um, are you concerned about his finishing ability? Kind of yes and no, not particularly. Um, this is something where maybe I'd lean on um, some advanced stats like expected goals. It's not gospel, but Ramirez has scored five goals. His expected goals are a little bit under four. Mm. So he's kind of doing a little bit better than the average forward would. Yeah, You have to take the bad with the good, too. I mean, if you look at like expected goal charts, um, you know, even penalty kicks get, you know, they don't get an expected goal of one. Some right. some people miss them. Yeah. Um, Messy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, time to time. So, you know, you take some of the goals that he scored that maybe somebody else wouldn't have. Um, United's first goal in MLS, where he turns at the top of the box and slots it past the goalkeeper. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know how many forwards score that. To be fair, his expected goals for the, the Romando Howler in Real, against Real Salt Lake right. must have been like a 1.5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was, gonna, I was just going to use that as the opposite. <laughs> when you kick the ball from a foot away from the goal line into an open goal, you probably have an, ex- you know, right. but every player, you know, any striker that's getting a lot of service, he's going to miss some ones he should make. And he's going to make some ones that he, that shouldn't go in. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of Fernando Adi up in Portland um, as kind of an MLS example. He's the all time leading goal scorer for the Portland Timbers, but there are so many times where he'll go seven, eight weeks without scoring. And you're just like, what the hell's happening? Because it seems like there's so many chances. Or you look at Cubo Torres, who's on top, who has one more goal um, with Houston than uh, Christian has with Minnesota, and he's leading the golden boot chase right now. He was held scoreless against Minnesota, and you saw a couple of golden chances where he just sent it wide or sent it high, and he really should have had two goals in this game as well. So that's just that's the nature of a striker. 
Um, the, the second question ties into that Molino cross we were talking about. This is still from Alex. Um, is Kevin Molino not getting the credit he deserves? He seems the clear MVP of our team. Um, I feel like is, he's getting the attention. Well, is that part of it? You know, fans are familiar with Ramirez. Fans are familiar with Ibarra. Ramirez has been playing. Ramirez has been scoring. Goal scorers always get attention. Uh, yes, Molino has been the team's best player mm-hmm. and, and will probably continue to be the team's best player this season. Yeah, agreed. Um, BC Brown, we're, we're just going to go through the Minnesota United questions first. Um, BC Brown asked, now that Brent Coleman has clipped his 2008 Anthony Kiedis sports bob, he, he did. He He went with a very... Uh, tradition. I know it's your favorite haircut in sports. The uh, you know that kind of high and tight fade. Yeah. Um, who on Minnesota United has the best hair game? Seems to be lacking. Yeah. Uh, isn't Anthony Kiedis just the best? I know Wes always says that Anthony Kiedis always. is the best. He says yeah. that Anthony Kiedis is the best lyricist in rap or rock right now, and that no one else is even on his level. I think he even threw in jazz. Is what just for a certain is what state. Wes Spurdine says. Yeah. But um, if you're going by volume, Ishmaela Jome. Um, and then if your standard of quality is a great, a great clips lookbook from the early eighties, uh, maybe Rasmus Schuler. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Where you just got kind of the, the mop top look side swept. Yeah. With the little curl and tucks behind the ear. I, I, I think if you're looking for just long hair and you're trying to fill the void that Brent left, you latch onto Mark Birch. He's got a very similar, it's just actually, it's like the before and after. I mean, the difference in just the overall flow of Brent's hair compared to Mark's hair is like that of a before and after, uh, like kind of L'Oreal Paris kind of commercial. And it's, it's just all so, I mean, like it seems like one continuous tuft, like a, a terrible hair graphic on like a 2006 FIFA video game. Um, it just seems like it doesn't move. And so if you're into that, latch on to Mark Birch. And speaking of Mark Birch, uh, Temple of Loon asks, who do you, what do you like and dislike? Uh, or what do you like and what concerns you about Mark Birch? And Sam Cronin so far. I'll throw that one to you. Okay. Um, Birch's hair, I've liked. <laughs> no, with Birch, I've... Um, he has not been great. He's been fine. I, I But there are... There have been very few moments where I look at what Mark Birch has done in his first few games with Minnesota United and thought, that's better than Justin Davis would be doing right now. You know, and, and you talked about, again, familiarity with the team. We've seen more of Justin Davis over the years than we've seen of Mark Birch. That said, you need to give him a little time to settle too. Oh, absolutely. But when you've played on this many clubs and you've played this many minutes, really what changes is who you're interplaying with. And so I'm looking at the moments where Birch is one on one with somebody on the right wing. And he was tasked with a couple of very quick wingers for Houston uh, who were switching sides between uh, Ellis, who was the goal scorer, and then Kyoto, who's the other guy who was coming back from injury and subbed in late. Um, and he wasn't burnt necessarily there wasn't a moment where he was just kind of caught flat-footed but they were able to work it past him or he didn't necessarily clear it to end the danger and would just kind of clear it but it would get to the second wave of houston who would pass back to the first um i would still expect him to start against colorado this weekend but i i don't think that he's been one of the best players from Minnesota. Conversely, Sam Cronin, I think, has been. And I think that actually this week, one week after I had apologized for putting in a double six midfield with Cronin and Colin Warner, um, it worked really well, I thought, this week. And I thought that they did well to mitigate how much Houston could do in the center of the pitch. Um, and, and, and just in general, Cronin seemed to be everywhere that the ball was. You could see moments where he was just booking it across the field to try to stop uh, an errant pass. Um, or try to pa- stop a, a dribbling attacker. And so I, I think Cronin's one of the most important players for Minnesota United right now. 
my thoughts are kind of the same. And and two, if if uh, even if even if Birch and, and Davis aren't differentiating themselves from one another, um, having two left backs that aren't liabilities is not going to hurt you in Major League Soccer, especially with like the 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 shallowest position pool of any right now in Major League Soccer. Right, the modern fullback the position is so demanding given the ground you're expected to cover, join the attack, get back and defend and then if you're dealing with people that are naturally left-footed, that's what 15% of the population. Right. So you're pulling from a very small pool of players in general in order to fill that position. Yeah, I, I think that there will be a need for Justin Davis still this year. Um I I, I think that he'll start certainly a few more games at least with Minnesota this season um that doesn't even factor in you know if a player falls injured if a player gets whatever but and Birch's contract is up at the end of the season right so you know if Davis continues to progress Mm -hmm. he could be back in yep 2018 yeah learn from a player with over 15,000 minutes in the league it's not bad um and then one last note on Minnesota United before we take a break here uh on Friday I reported with Wes's help and then your editing on 55-1 about Vadim Demidov. Uh, Demidov was brought in on targeted allocation money going into the season. He was seen as a key piece of the team. He was named the clubhouse captain and the on-field captain. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've said a lot about Vadim Demidov on this podcast, so I'm kind of curious what, you, what you've seen from him. Um, at least through his first three starts that he had had. Sure, I just see a player that's that's slow, that, you know, he could be one of those, you have to put a lot of cavites around him to say that he's going to be successful in Major League Soccer. Whatever Major League Soccer's faults are, there are a number of athletic forwards, even the bigger forwards like Fernando Adi, um, they're mobile, Mm -hmm. they get around. Um, And I don't know that Vadim Demonov is so good that you structure a defense around him to integrate him into that too. For me though... um, it, it just kind of raises questions about Minnesota United's decision-making process. Well, yeah, I realized I forgot to say the lead at all, and yeah. what the news is before we go on with the decision-making process. Um, Demidov is on out of, he's out of favor right now with Minnesota United, it's fair to say. He is looking at other options. He may be departing in the next month or two, um, and uh, Valarenga in Norway seems to be the front-runner to land him. They're having some defensive issues of their own. Their season runs the concurrently with MLS, where their season goes January to December, in theory. So they're still in the heart of it, and they won't be waiting until the summer, necessarily. So keeping all of that in mind, uh, you you had a point about Minnesota United. Yeah, I mean, I just, I would like to, and, and you're the beat writer, and maybe you, you probably have, I'm sure you have more insight into this than I do, but um, when I look at other organizations, you know, I don't know the depth of Minnesota United's statistical analysis. Are they just kind of putting in, you know, one-off orders from Opta or or Instat or something like that? Sure. Or, you know, it would be nice if they had their own, uh, a few of their own analysts doing some proprietary work. And I don't know the, the depth of their scouting operations. Are they just um, purchasing, like, pool scouting reports from a from a, a company that does that? Do they have their own scouts? You know, if, if the if the decision-making process um, is, is really limited to Manny Lagos, Amos McGee, Adrian Heath, their staff, kind of um, people they, they talk to, kind of secondhand word of mouth, sure. you're not getting like a giant pool of players to scout. And, and they were building a team, um, in a, you know, essentially a team from scratch, pulling in maybe five or six players from their NASL team and, Mm-hmm. Um, on that tight turnaround, you know, these are the kind of mistakes that you get. If if 
Demidov really is out of favor if he's going away and they can get somebody to take that salary off the books. They've done a good job of mitigating things, but there's an opportunity cost where um, an international spot is lost. Maybe they weren't able to pursue other targets because they were bumping up against that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's something I hope they improve upon in the future. Sure. Um, I do know that they do have scouts who just work as scouts, but I, I don't know about their analytics side. And I think that you're right. That is something that's incredibly important as you're, I mean, certainly trying to build a roster in six months' time, uh, which we've alluded to many a time. Um, one other clarifying question that I had gotten a few times after the article went up on Friday, Minnesota United would not recoup any targeted allocation money that was used on his salary to bring him below the designated player threshold. So let's just say, uh, sake of conversation, he's on 550000 And so they used 150000 to bring him to 400000 below the DP threshold. They wouldn't get that money back. That said, they would get the $400,000 off their salary cap so they could bring in a new player at max non-DP level. So uh, it will give them a lot of flexibility. Obviously, they'd have an international slot opened as well, but it's not like they would be getting TAM back. Um, Spend it and lose it is how that goes. Um, Let's take one more break here uh, with Big Quarters, and then when we come back, we will answer more Twitter questions from you. From me? Just you. All right. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. It's, it's me, Wes Burdine, and this is Jeff Reuter. <laughs> yes, and we're going to do our Twitter questions as we always do, Wes, um, where, again, if you want to email questions, you've got access to our emails, but also just... You've given out access to your email? I'm sick and tired of hearing about the damn emails, <laughs> Kyle. And um, you can feel free and send us your questions, send them DMs. If you are going to be sending emails or DMs, say, hey, this is for the podcast. Otherwise, I'm just going to reply to them and be like, no, I wanted to hear it. And I'll be like, well, I'm not recording it. So uh, first question actually does come from a uh, DM, I think. Andy Schultz asks, why have the Loons worn their home kits for the last two road games? How is that decided? It's uh, Yeah, that's a uh, primary secondary kit. Um, is how those are shaped up. So it's not a true home and away like you have in uh, baseball, basketball, whatever. Um, it's a primary secondary. So like the the Timbers wear green. Very few teams wear green in MLS. So unless they're playing against the Sounders or they're playing against a, a, another team wearing their alternates, they'll always be in green. Um, it just so happened that with Dallas, it, the shorts were a similar color to the gray. Or no, not not Dallas. But if you're looking at well, Dallas uh, and Houston, they both wear white. They both wore white shorts against right. So, Lewis, so you couldn't wear the white kits. Yeah, but um, with a team like Colorado, I think the colors were too close where they couldn't be wearing uh, the gray jerseys. And so you're just playing the matchup. Whoever the home team is gets to choose their priority, which is always going to be the primary kit, and then it's which one accents its best to bring out your eyes or something. Um, Alex Schieferdecker asks, please compare and contrast Will Harris with Brad Lidge. Thank you. This one's all you, Kyle. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's kind of, it's sort of an interesting comparison because in 2016, um, Harris became the first Astros reliever to be selected to an all-star game since Lidge was selected in 2005. And they're both two pitch pitchers. Um, Lidge uses a fastball and slider while Harris relies predominantly on a fastball and curve. Um, Both debuted in the majors kind of late, Harris at 27, Lidge at 25. 
But that's kind of where the comparisons end. Lidge threw a lot harder, mid-90s versus low-90s for Harris. Lidge had a better K rate, but his career walks per nine were up above four. Of course. Um, and Harris throws low-90s, has a little bit better control. I think the the better comparable from the 2017 Houston Astros would be Ken Giles going back to Brad Lidge. Sure. Uh, Kate Sophia asks, uh, why is the Oxford comma so great? You uh, you are one of the, the main editors for 55.1 as well. Um, so profess your love for the Oxford comma. Um, well, I think, um, a great many midwits are incapable of assuming a simple list as the default. And then the Oxford comma is an efficient workaround for that problem. Yeah, no, I, I, I swear by the Oxford comma. It actually does bother me if I see an article that doesn't have an Oxford comma. Um, and so following up on that, Dave Leidig asks if the Oxford comma was a street drug, which one would it be? Jankum. Great. Uh, next question is from Tom Riddell. Yeah. Um, do teams have access to more video than the just the TV feeds, or do they rely on man-broad data to see the tactical view of the whole field? And that man-broad data, you might be wondering. Um, I don't know if you were at uh, the last Loon's home game. I saw Johan Venegas come over and give his jersey to a, a Costa Rican fan, mm-hmm. and he had that um, little wearable um, data tracking thing that players wear on their chest under their jerseys. Yeah. Kate Sophia did an article um 455 one about these they track like acceleration and heart rate and things yeah so maybe we'll try to share that article uh sometime on tuesday so you guys can reread that by kate sophia but um they do have access to more video it's like a a football team um well football or football haha um will have i mean the the full 22 cam and so they'll be able to see the entire field and they'll be able to watch and so you will have scouts that are just watching the left back play to see okay how is birch doing how would this compare to what davis would have done stuff like that um or conversely are watching ahead to what colorado did in their last game so they can be like okay if dominic baji is that striker again what kind of runs did he make so that calvo and Kalman can try to shut him down um so they do have access to more than we see on the tv feeds they're just frankly ugly angles for the average sports fan to watch you're going to be want to be able to watch the action not necessarily watch a, a game of lemmings um on your tv so uh they will have access to more than that um and this they do use the man broad data as well yeah, and then we have a question from um, Minnesota United's most exclusive supporters group, the Opuloons, and they wanted to know, and I'd like you to answer this straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to force you in, into a specific kind of answer. They ask, how much money will it cost us to get Minnesota United a clean sheet? By us, we mean the Opuloons. MNUFC should spend as much as possible on this. How much do you think Minnesota would have to, do you think this, this you think defense the is? Opuloons would. Uh, or do you think this defense is capable of producing a clean sheet as the season goes on? Uh, two answers. First, uh, to get clean sheets, you can usually buy just a nice fitted sheet from Target. Uh, that's a, a very nice Egyptian cotton for, I mean, even just $10, and you're going to be able to have a sound night. Um, if you're looking, however, for Minnesota that United. That stuff, the cheap sheets that they pill when you wash them. So then, but the thing is, if it's only ten dollars, you can afford to just buy them a couple of times. Maybe if you're the Opuloons, you certainly can. Yeah. Um, and then you know, you just you're never washing and be throwing away. It's the Tom. It's like Tom Brady in socks. He once said that his goal, um, with being a professional athlete, is that he'd never have to wash his socks and try to make sure to match them all. He just wanted to be able to buy new socks every week. And I think Tom Brady can afford that. Um, as far as Minnesota United, yeah, of course they're going to be able to keep a clean sheet sometime this year. I th- I think that the pieces could be in place. I think Colorado is actually going to be a good litmus test to see. They have, as far as the attack goes, Tim Howard will be suspended uh, after he was caught using the F-bomb at a couple of fans. Um, both of their starting center backs are currently out hurt. 
Um, Axel Schuberg has been hurt for a while, and then Jared Watts picked up an injury in his last game. So Minnesota should certainly be scoring, which means they can focus on the defense maybe. And Colorado, though they did just trade for two kind of attacking-minded players in Josh Gatt and Mo Saeed, they haven't put it together yet, really. So I, I think that they're going to be an interesting opponent this coming week. Um, I think Minnesota's going to win that game. Jeff Reuter, iron lock, clean sheet prediction, market. I would say... That, no, no. Okay. You just, you, just, you just did. Okay. I would also say there is a game where Philadelphia comes to Minnesota that seems like a done and dusted clean sheet five months in advance. I think if you're gonna, if you're really gonna try to uh, buy something like a clean sheet, that that money is just a bit too easy. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say um, closing night tickets to the proms in London. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Um, last question comes from Andrew Bruski, which is this is an incredible question. Um, between Christian Martinez and Jason Coleman, which signing from Montana United's USL days has been the biggest pleasant surprise in the MLS? Uh, I think that's tough to say. Um, Marty Lagos has done such a good job transitioning his team to to the Major League Soccer, but that shouldn't come as a surprise from a sporting doctor that previously won the 2011 Super Bowl. You know, Martinez and Coleman have been good, but Henrik Ibsen gets my vote. Um, his transition from poet to technically gifted midfielder has been particularly impressive, and many thought as a deceased 189-year-old he was past it but he seems to have raised the level of his game to meet the change in leagues. Couldn't agree more. So uh, thanks again for listening to the 55-1 podcast. Uh, That's for you, the Houston Dynamo commentary team. If you have any other questions, as always, send them. You can find me on Twitter, at Jeff Reuter. Kyle, where can people find you if they're interested in anything that you tweet about? Uh, At MNNiceFC on Twitter. And that's specifically, though, if they don't like your Red Hot Chili Peppers take. Yes, but um, anybody who doesn't love um, sort of the, the latter years of the Chili Peppers is wrong. Sure. I think you're at K.R. Eliason if they actually do want to heckle you. Um, And yeah, as always, uh, you can find us on any podcast platform you want to if you want to get versatile and try a new one out. Um, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. If there's one that you want us on that we're not yet, tell us. SoundCloud comes out first. I'm just going to say that. That is true. It's on SoundCloud before the other one. So if if you want to get it at 6 a.m. on Tuesday or whatever, SoundCloud. SoundCloud is the way to go. There you go. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week after apparently an ironclad shutout. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.